Well, good morning. Today is a great day. The Cubs are in the playoffs and the Bears aren't playing. Right? Even better, here we are. More importantly, we are gathered for worship and we have the opportunity to come together to lift up Jesus Christ and to hear from God as he speaks to us in his word. Today is a great day. And if you are visiting and looking for a new church, I would love for you to become a part of Wheaton Bible Church. I will be down here in front this morning and would love to meet you or you can go to our visitor's center and you can be welcomed there. Now we are in a seven-week series on our mission and our values. This is week number two. Our mission is what we are trying to accomplish as a church. Our values deal with who we must be in order to get there. Now we happen to think this is a big deal, that this is a great opportunity for us as a church because our culture is changing all around us as rapidly as, um, as ever before. And we happen to think God has ordained us for such a time as this. So we take this very, very seriously. We care about this very deeply. Now what we did last week as we began this series is we looked at our mission and our first value. So what I want you to do is grab your worship folder. There are two inserts in there. I want you to take both of them out. The first one is a single page that's about today, gives you some space to take some notes on today's message. And then the other insert is an eight-page booklet, a condensed version of our mission and values. If you want a more thorough, more complete treatment, you can access it online at wheatonbible.org. You can pick it up at the visitor set or the information desk as you leave this morning. Now what I want you to do is look at the first, the front page. And what is our mission? Well, you see the graphic there? In bold underneath it, the complete statement is that we would see more and more people love God, grow together, reach the world. Love God, grow together, reach the world has been our mission for almost uh, 10 years. What we've done this fall is we've added more and more to make sure we understand that we must be externally focused and that we have a public faith, not a me and Jesus private faith. So love God, grow together, reach the world. Now there's all sorts of different ways to express that wonderful mission that we believe God has given us. There's all sorts of different ways to apply it. Uh, to give it legs. We have chosen three because our dream, and here I go, is that everyone at Wheaton Bible Church would spend at least 15 minutes a day, every day, in Bible reading and prayer. Love God. That everyone at Wheaton Bible Church would be in a group connected to the church that we might together grow together. And then third, that each and every one of us we'll have five to 10 people on our prayer care share list. That is five to 10 people we are praying for, we are caring for, and we are attending to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives with. So love God, grow together, reach the world, one rope with three inseparable stand, strands expressed as each and every one of us reading the Bible, praying at least 15 minutes a day, every day, everyone in a group connected with the church, and all of us have our list, five to 10 people, our prayer care share list. Could you imagine 
what this church would be like if each and every one of us did that? Could you imagine what our families would be like if each and every one of our families embarked on this journey together? Now today, we come to the second and third value. Now our values are who we aspire to be. Uh, what DNA we desire, what culture we are attempting to build in order that we can stand up in winsome but uh, bold ways in a rapidly changing culture. Now these values are absolutely critical, they're mission critical if you will, because what any organization does best is what it loves the most. And along with our doctrinal statement, our values are what we want to love most. We want you to join us in that. Now open your booklet and let's turn to the second value. We have these bold statements on the front end of each value. The reason they're in bold is because we want these to become part of our DNA. We want these to be seen as culture building statements. So the second value, the statement is where the Holy Spirit leads, we will follow. Where the Holy Spirit leads, we will follow. Now let's say that out loud together. Where the Holy Spirit leads, we will follow. Okay, um, that was really weak. This is a big deal. Life is coming at us rapidly. We must understand what the Word of God has to say. So let's, I'm, I'm going to give you a little grace. Let's do this one more time. Okay, we're going to say this together. Where the Holy, well, well, let me slow down. <laughs> Where the Holy Spirit leads, we will follow. All right, you passed. Now look at, what does that mean? Well, look at, the, look at the, the statement I've written here. Because we are unequal to God's great calling on our lives, he has given us the spirit to guide us, to empower us, and to give us victory, but as God counts victory. It is the Holy Spirit presence in our lives that continually mediates and points to Christ and the grace that is ours in the gospel. Now that last statement takes us back to the first value, that the gospel isn't just the starting line, it's the whole race. Now look at the verse, John 14. Jesus is speaking just hours before he is crucified, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. A person who is equally God, just as God the Father, God the Son are God. But a person who is also equally distinct in the triune God or the Trinity, just like the Father and the Son are distinct from one another. Now this morning, I want to spend most of my time talking about the Spirit. And I want to talk about three aspects of the Spirit that we often don't talk about in our churches. And the first is that the Holy Spirit gives us joy. The second is that the Holy Spirit, frankly, is confusing. 
And the third is that the Holy Spirit isn't merely an individual thing, it's a church thing. So let's start with joy. Joy. God gives us the Holy Spirit as his children in order to give us joy. Have you thought about that? I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. God gives us a Spirit to give us joy. An unending, a supernatural joy that transcends our circumstances. A joy. It's how the Spirit and Jesus' words help us. Because life comes hard, man. Life is difficult. Um, but as the Spirit continually reminds you, if you know Jesus Christ of all that God has done for you in His Son and dying on the cross for your sins, and the fact that in Jesus Christ you are secure, you are safe, you are significant, regardless of what's happening around us. And the Spirit reminds us uh, that this isn't our destination, this life is preparation, that paradise is to come. What happens is that produces a joy in our lives so that we're not tethered to this thing or that thing or this situation or that situation. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus' very first miracle, his very first miracle took place at a wedding where he turned water into outstanding wine? Wine. Wine. In order that the party could go on. And it wouldn't end. Now, nobody was healed. No, lives uh, were instantaneously changed. Oh, you better believe there was a lot of changing going on afterwards. So why did Jesus do that? Why did he begin? Why was his signature a miracle? Uh, why did it take place at a wedding? It was all about wine so the party could go on. And the answer seems to be because Jesus was signaling at the very front end of his ministry that he has not merely come to redeem us, which certainly he has, but he has come to restore joy in its fullness in our lives. There, it was wedding joy. It was festival joy. It was ultimate party joy. I mean, that's crazy. Now, one of the things this means is that it means that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, don't merely honor God by our obedience. We honor God by enjoying him by enjoying his blessings, by enjoying the life he has given us. So when I talk about the Holy Spirit, or a, a pastor talks about the Holy Spirit, I, I want you to understand, it's not about you and I figuring all aspects out of the Holy Spirit out. We can't do that. We can't figure it out. Oh, I got the Spirit nailed. Oh, I want you to understand, God has given you the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you to give you joy. 
enjoy him. Enjoy life. Enjoy your weddings. We have one coming in December. Right now, I'm not enjoying it so much. I'm just thinking about the money. I'll get there. Now, let me go on. The second thing I want to say is that, um, and, and here we just, I, I just want to be honest. The Holy Spirit is often confusing for many of us, most of us. And, and preaching and teaching on the Holy Spirit often just accelerates it. Uh, because we listen to it and it makes, it makes us feel inadequate. It makes us feel guilty. You know, we don't feel the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives like those Christians in the book of Acts did. And, and so what that does, honestly, is it um, makes us begin to wonder about our faith, our experience, our, 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 our spiritual life. And if you care about your spiritual life at all, teaching on the Holy Spirit can put you under it's confusing. It makes us feel guilty. Take Mary. Mary is a young mother with three kids. Just getting through the day is huge. Changing diapers, driving carpool, uh, making meals, uh, cleaning up, managing her work. Um, every night, Mary kind of collapses in bed. Life is, life is just overwhelming. So when Mary comes to church and her pastor talks about the Holy Spirit, you know what Mary does? She tunes out. Because it makes her feel like a failure. And as a young mother, so much of the battle for young mothers is you constantly feel like a failure. Why did my kid do this? Why did I respond this way? And so she tunes it out. And she starts texting or whatever during the message. Uh, by the way, I'm not recommending that. Now I want to help you with this. So I want to go back to John 14. And I want to put these two verses up here from John 14. Let's look at them. And, and now we read them. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. What has God given us the Spirit for to help us? And he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Now here Jesus doesn't promise us everything about the Spirit, but he does promise two things. He promises us as followers of Christ that the Spirit will always, always be with us. There never will be a situation, a nanosecond, where the Spirit isn't present in our lives. And then he promises uh, that the Spirit will bless us and empower us. That's what he means when he says the Spirit will be in you. It's a promise of blessing, of empowerment. The Spirit will indwell you. No possession, no possession in your life is more valuable, valuable more life-changing and life-giving than the Holy Spirit. Bar none. So the New Testament talks about the convicting work of the Spirit leading up to salvation. 
the baptism of the Spirit at salvation, the, the filling, uh, the fruits, the gifts of the Spirit, and, and warns us against uh, grieving, quenching, and resisting the Spirit after we've come to Christ. But Mary, so much of our, our struggle, like, like Mary's, is that the Spirit is confusing. And the reason for that is because along the way, unintentionally, we have developed a different agenda for our life than the Spirit's. And it's a subtle thing, but played out, it becomes a big thing. Now let me explain. In John 14, we have a chapter that is part of the larger, what we call, upper room discourse. It took place in the upper room in Jerusalem. We think, by the way, where we, that we know where that room is today. At least there are some good arguments for it. I've been in it. And here, Jesus is just hours before he's crucified. And he's speaking to the disciples. And what is so striking to me throughout Jesus' ministry is how honest he is. But boy, here is he honest with the disciples. And he's honest with us. And he tells the disciples how hard, how difficult, how costly it's going to be to follow him in an unbelieving world. And they're already confused. They're already scared because they know something is up. They see the, the anger and the hostility toward Jesus. They know something's got to give. The dam's got to break. So what does Jesus do? Well, in John 15, Jesus warns the disciples. He says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And then in chapter 16, on the front end of chapter 16, uh, Jesus says, whoever kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And the disciples are kind of, what did you just say? What did I sign up for? Jesus is saying the world is a tough address for my people. And there will be times, many times, where you're going to be troubled, you're going to be afflicted, you're going to be confused, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're, you're not going to know if you can make it till the, the next day. You're going to be scared to death. In other words, here in John chapter 14, Jesus is saying, God hasn't given you the Holy Spirit so all your problems will go away or so that you'll always feel a certain way, you know, comfortable and stress-free. No, what Jesus is saying, some of you will starve. You'll be rejected, you'll be tortured, you'll be killed. And God hasn't given the Holy Spirit to extraordinary people. The disciples to a person were not extraordinary men. But God has given the Holy Spirit to ordinary people living ordinary lives, often in the valley of the shadow of death. to empower you to persevere, to give you a transcendent joy, uh, 
to give you the power to see your sin and put your sin to death. To have this ongoing, uh, deep sense of God's presence in the mundane, in the boring, in the difficult, in the darkness. Now, only once in my life, one time, just once in my life, did I say once? Just once in my life have I been to a five-star restaurant. And I was only there because some good friends were buying. And Rhonda and I had the most fabulous meal of our entire lives. It was a 16-course meal. And the dessert, the chocolate dessert, at the end, which took about 45 minutes, it seemed like, was so incredible, so fantastic. I want to weep when I think about it. (laughs) Now, I've done the math. And during the course of my lifetime, I've probably had 70,000 meals. Only one, a five-star. And Ryan is a good cook, just got to say that. Got to protect myself a little, you know. Only one, a 70,000. Now, my point is, uh, some people think that the Holy Spirit, life in the Spirit, should be like eating a five-star meal every day. Every day. Jesus is saying no. The Holy Spirit isn't a circumstance thing. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling thing. The Holy Spirit is a heart thing. And God gives you the Holy Spirit to change your heart. Uh, The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 are issues of the heart. To give you a, a, a peace when life seems out of control. To give you patience when you don't want to be patient. To give you a love when uh, the person you're in there acting with is unlovable and on and on. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit isn't a nonstop, out-of-body, mountaintop experience. God has given the Holy Spirit to ordinary people just like you and me, living ordinary lives to stay faithful in extraordinary ways. Now, do miracles, healings, dreams, visions, all that kind of stuff happen? Yes, Uh, they happen all around the world. They actually happen here. In in the last month, we've had a refugee in in our ministry come to Jesus Christ, experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ, leaving Islam because Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And that's not the first time it's happened here at Wheaton Bible Church. Over the last couple of years, I do not, I do want, do not want in any way to downplay the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And he can change, he can heal, he can do this anytime he wants. But on the other hand, I do not want any of you to feel inadequate, to feel like you're a second-class citizen, to feel troubled and confused by the Spirit. 
Because the Christian life isn't about your circumstances. The Christian life isn't about your moods. Our moods come and go. Our moods are all over the place. The Christian life is about your heart. And God has given you the spirit to change your heart. Third, the Holy Spirit, and this may be the first time I've ever said it like this here at Wheaton Bible Church. The Holy Spirit is not merely an individual thing. It's a church thing. Here in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And he is preparing them for their mission together. After his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. How they will relate to one another. Um, How they will eventually become the church together. And one of the things Jesus is saying then in this context is, it is the Holy Spirit that will work through the church, through your togetherness, through the body of Christ. So let me show you this. Turn to John 17. Turn just a couple chapters ahead to John 17, two verses beginning in verse 20. We'll have it on the screen. Jesus is speaking and he says, he's praying now in this last chapter that ends this upper room discourse. My prayer, God, is not for them alone. That would be the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That would be you and me 2,000 years later. That all of them, and here it is, here he drops the shoe, that all of them may be what? One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that we are one is this point. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, Jesus doesn't mention the Holy Spirit here in these two verses. I know that. But the implication is is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's been talking about the Holy Spirit, is a collective experience. God gives us a spirit so we can be one. So the Holy Spirit unites us. The Holy Spirit works in us to create a love for the church. Now think about it. Baptism, communion, submission to the elders of the church, being in a group that is connected to the elders of the church, gathering together for worship like this, sitting under God's word, under the preaching of God's word, is one of the primary ways we will be filled with the Spirit. That they may be one by the Spirit. Godliness, godliness only flourishes in Holy Spirit community. So, uh, man, when you're uh, struggling and you hear God speak to you through a friend, or maybe it's a baptism testimony, or, or, or God speaks to you through a song we're singing in worship, or or God speaks to you through the ministry of the word, or your small group comes beside you and holds you up when you feel like you're, you're faltering, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit at work through the body of Christ. And it's one of the main ways the Spirit works. 
fills us, enables us to experience the fruits, to exercise our gifts. All right, that is the second value. Now I want to go on, I want to go to the third value. So grab your brochure, pull out your brochure, and let's look at it uh, together. The third value is that we exist, turn the page, it's we exist to send and to be sent. That's a statement in bold. Does everybody see it? We exist to send and be sent. All right, let's say that together as if we really, really get it and believe it. Here we go, follow me. We exist to send and be sent. Oh man, A plus, way to go. Now what does that mean? Well, it's good that you would explain this, Rob. What we see here is that God is a sending God. He sent his son, his best, Jesus, into the world to rescue and to redeem us. God sent Jesus. Following the resurrection, Jesus passed on his mission, identity, the sending DNA to the church. But often our concept of sending has been too narrow, focusing on missionaries, which is a good thing, but not empowering and celebrating our lay people or our groups in their pursuits of finishing the Great Commission and seeking the common good of families, friends, workplaces, and the communities where we live. Now, I want you to see, we've, we've got just a portion of verse 21. I want you to see 21 and 22 together. Let's put that up. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is post-resurrection, pre-Pentecost. It's installment, a down payment of the Spirit. Now, what I want you to see is the connection. God gives us a spirit to send us in the world. So that's why the third value follows the second value here. Now watch this video. What's going on, Jose? How are you doing, sir? Hi. I'm Phil Hansen, and I'm the president at the C.H. Hansen Company in Naperville, Illinois. One thing that my dad passed on to me was a phrase by Booker T. Washington that he had on his desk. And it said, no race can prosper until it learns that there's as much dignity in tilling a field as in writing a poem. That was powerful for me because my dad loved the people that worked here. And when I started working here, I had that same feeling, but it wasn't until I really discovered the application of the gospel to realize how powerful that really is. How you doing, Jose? How you doing? I'm good. Alicia, how are you? Paola, how are you? Santiago, what's going on? So I actually ended up at Wheaton Bible shortly after they, uh, right after the new campus was built. And it has had a profound impact. The ability to have somebody tell you how to lead your life as a godly man at that time in my life was, was extremely important to me. We have a limited ability really to talk to our customers every day and express our faith uh, to them in, in a very obvious way. It's, it's difficult to do, but we have lots of people that come in and out of, the, out of our building every day and where most people come in and out of are truck drivers. So one of the ideas that we got through my C12 group was to hand out water bottles, right? So truck drivers come in and out of the dock all day long. They're thirsty, they're, they've been driving, it's hot, and they need water. Do 
So just thanking them a little bit for their service. And we give them a free, a free bottle of water. Of course, that has our logo on it. Thank you for your service. And then the Bible verse is John 4, 13, 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fount of water springing up to eternal life. So we just started doing this, and we've already refilled the refrigerator several times. The application of the gospel at your work, whether you are driving a forklift, driving a car, staying at home and raising a family doesn't have to be the way it was when I was younger. You know, my dad loved all the employees, but they, we didn't have this intentionality to what we're trying to do today. We want people to be breaking down our doors literally to come work on our business. We want to offer something more than just a paycheck when they come to work. Awesome video. Phil, stand up. I see you right there. Thank you, brother. That's just awesome. Now, Phil would be the first to say most of us aren't business owners. We haven't um, moved into a, a family-run business. But what I want to say to you, what Phil would say to you, is that regardless of our age, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our circumstances, all of us are equally sent. That's the point of the video. All of us have opportunities wherever we are, retiring community, uh, to the school that we attend. Uh, to apply the gospel to our context. What does that look like? What, what does that mean? Now, Rhonda and I have seven kids in our enormous step family. Seven adult kids. I've said before, it's too many. We get that. And one of our adult kids is a missionary in Asia. Another is married to a guy that's full-time with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Southern California. But as the father... And, and, and the stepfather, I want all seven of our kids to understand all of them are equally called. Whether it's to a secular university where one is, or a law office in the city where another is, or education where a couple are, or a stay-at-home mom, or a software firm in Indianapolis, all of them are equally called, all of them are equally sent. Sent to change the world by transforming their particular culture. And that's what we're trying to illustrate here. Now, sending, what is sending? Sending's about two things. I, I mentioned it near the bottom in that description of, in the brochure. It's about seeking the good, what we call the common good of all people, especially the under-resourced and the vulnerable. It's why Jesus told the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. It's what Jesus is getting at when he says, be salt and light. It's what Peter means when he says, glorify God by your good deeds. It's loving your neighbor wherever you are, especially through your work where you spend the bulk of your days. If you work outside the home. But there's a second aspect to sending. Not just merely seeing the, seeking the common good, which is huge, but sending is finishing the Great Commission. So Jesus said, I sent you, or uh, he said the same thing differently when he says, go and make disciples. It's telling people your story. It, 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 it's putting a Bible verse on a water bottle. 
It's letting people know about the rescue and redemption that you enjoy in what Jesus has done for you. In other words, sending is this delightful mix of word and deed. Word and deed. It's the gospel, another way to say it is it's the gospel wrapped in grace. It's living life boldly. Now, not just verbally, certainly it includes that, but also authentically, honestly, openly. So people can see uh, Jesus in you. So you stand, as a follower of Christ, you stand on the exclusive claims of Christ. But you are so inclusive as a person that the world is amazed at your love. Exclusive and inclusive. In the language of uh, God's call to Abraham, you are called to be a blessing. Sending means you're sent to be a blessing. Uh, Not just to your tribe, uh, not just to your group, not just to your circle of friends, but to the nations. Now this is a change for us going forward. Because it means we're going to move from being pastor-centered, missionary-centered, to lay-empowered. Less top-down, more bottom-up. It's we're expanding our concept of sending. We're not just celebrating missionaries. We're celebrating all of you. It's the point of the video. You'll see a lot more of these. Because it's as different as we all are different. Do you know that 39 of the 40 miracles in the entire book of Acts take place outside the walls or the gathering of the church? Why? Could it be that God wants to manifest its power, his power, not necessarily inside the church, but outside the church? That most of what God wants to bless is as we, the people of God, scatter. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me to you, I am sending you to them. All of you, each and every one of you. Everyone is either a missionary or a mission field. There is no third option in the kingdom of God. Now, we have been a great mission church, and we want to build on that strength and become a great sending church, sending all of you equally as individuals, as groups, to live a life that the people around you might flourish. I I mean, think about it. Adam? Adam was a gardener. Noah was a boat builder. Joseph and Esther were government officials. Jesus was a carpenter. Peter was a a fisherman, all equally sent. Now, Now, I'm done. These two values are incredible. God loves us so much. He has given us God to live inside us. To give us joy. And he has given us the greatest job, the greatest assignment in the world. To seek the good of the people around us. And to lift up Jesus Christ. 
And it's all made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died. In our place, for our insecurities, our, our weaknesses, our, our, our fears, our, our sin. And it's in basking in that love of God in Jesus Christ. In fixing our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews said. And, and the glory of the love that we enjoy because of what Jesus has done. That the Spirit, the Spirit, helps us understand and helps us live a sent life. And Wheaton Bible Church will become ascending church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are amazed at what you have done for us and your son. And, and the implications of life in the spirit, the joy that is ours, the opportunity for ministry that you give us. And Father, we praise you, we honor you, we worship you. And now as we come to worship, God, would you, by your spirit, enable us to worship out of the depths of our heart? because we have experienced the depth of your heart in your Son. Amen.